Well, Raider Church, glad you guys are here tonight. We're starting a brand new series called El Nombre. And actually, if you were around last year, we also did uh, this series about a year ago. And in this series, you know, you don't, you don't have to be fluent in Spanish to probably know that Nombre is, is Spanish for name, right? So we're talking about the names of God in this series. We'll get into that in just a second. But, you know, getting ready for this uh, series, I started thinking about names. Names are interesting. You know, I have, I have three kids. It, to me, it was a really fun thing, like trying to think of names to name your kids. Uh, hopefully you get to do that one day. Uh, it, it's, it's pretty intimidating though, right? Because you're, you're giving your kid this name they're going to carry with them for the rest of their lives. So there's a lot of pressure on it. And it seems like maybe I'm getting to be that old curmudgeon, you know, like the get off my yard guy or whatever. But it seems like the, the, the longer we go here, the older I get, the more it seems like names just get weirder and more dumb, right? It's like people try to get more and more creative with what they name their kids and they like make up spellings for the, like even a normal name so that you have to go through your life spelling your name multiple times to everyone that asks what your name is, right? Some of you may be in that boat, but I started looking up, what are the dumbest names of 2019? And I pulled some of my favorites. So I hope your name isn't in this list, by the way. Uh, I, I, didn't, I didn't write this, but uh, here, here's a good one, Cub. That's a good one, right? Anybody know any Cubs? No? Axis, Pinches. That's a good one. Uh, Danger, and then my all-time favorite, Pansy. I mean, I don't want to be harsh, but if your parents named you Pansy, they don't love you. Okay, so my, my apology is right off the bat. But there, there are some names that are, that are more timeless, right? There, there are names that go way, 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 way back and have these deep-rooted meanings in whatever origin uh, of language language of origin uh, they came from. So again, I looked up some of my favorite ones here. Maybe your name is on this list. First, we have on the girl side, Alexandra is Greek for helper, defender of mankind. And you have Hannah is Hebrew, favor, grace of God. And on the guy side, you have Andrew, which is strong, manly, and courageous. Kudos to you Andrews out there. Matthew, gift from God. Now, I didn't find my name on this list. Uh, my name is Brandon, if I hadn't had a chance to, to uh, meet you. And so I looked it up. I was hoping for like, you know, voice of an angel or like some kind of warrior or something. Uh, but here's what I found. Brandon comes from Old English, first of all. And it's a combination of two words, broom and hill. Isn't that awesome? Thanks, mom and dad. But I, so nicknames, though, I have a nickname. Nicknames can say a lot about you. Uh, my nickname is BR. My full name is Brandon Ross Gwynn. And the Ross comes, this is kind of cool. Legend has it, I'm a descendant of Betsy Ross, the much maligned seamstress. Uh, so that's kind of cool, but my, parent, my, my whole family and some friends, they call me BR, which is short for BR549. And even BR549 comes from uh, somewhere. And so I did some research into that. And it, apparently it comes from this uh, show. So back in the 80s, maybe the late 70s, but for sure the 80s, uh, there was this, see, in the big church when I said this, old people already started laughing because they know who BR549 is. You're not going to have any idea. But there used to be a show. It was like this skit show, kind of like Saturday Night Live or something, but it was like all rednecky like hillbilly and it was called hee-haw like that was the name of the show hee-haw hee-haw right and there was a character on this show named br549 that again my nickname is named after this is br549 
That's him. So basically, I'm named after like a hillbilly and a broom. So uh, I, I missed all the way around. Uh, hopefully, you're, you're more fortunate than I am when it comes to the name department. But, but names, especially in ancient times, man, names said a lot about you, like what you were about, what you were like. And we're going to be talking about the names of God in this series. And actually, in the Greek, the Greek word for name or anoma, it uh, comes from a, a verb that literally means to know. And I, I believe as we look throughout scripture and we see all these different names of God, it can go a long way into showing us what he's like, what his character is, uh, who he is. And um, as Christians, man, I think it's important that we learn more about the God that we serve. Otherwise, we're tempted to kind of conjure up this image of God that, that's kind of like us, right? Human qualities. And uh, that's a problem because there's only, there's only one God and that's the God of the Bible. So the first name that we're going to talk about comes from, uh, comes from uh, Judges. So let me give you a little backstory where we are in this book of Judges in the Old Testament. Um, if you know anything about the Israelites, right, they were rescued out of slavery and they wander around for a little bit and then they finally settle in this land. And over the, the course of many, many years, it seems like they go through this cycle of when they're following God the way they're supposed to, their lives go pretty well. They're, they're blessed. They, they see some good times. And then they get to where they turn their back on God and they worship other gods or worship idols or something. Every time they do that, things start to go pretty bad for them, like really, really bad. And this is one of those times. Uh, they, they are in a seven-year period where because of their disobedience to God, God has handed them over to the Midianites. Now, the Midianites were, were super cruel and ruthless, and uh, they basically would go through the Israelites' land and destroy all their crops. They would steal all their livestock, like leave the, the, the land stripped bare. I mean, they had them running for the hills. They were starving to death. It was a bad situation. But during this time, you, you have Gideon. Gideon is one of uh, the judges in, uh, for Israel. Uh, and he finds favor with God in this time. And he's smart enough, instead of threshing his wheat out in the field, like everyone else, he would do it down in his wine press. Like the wine press was this dugout below the level of the ground, uh, kind of pit. And so he would thresh his wheat down in the wine press so that he wouldn't be seen by the Midianites. So an angel comes to Gideon one day and he tells him, man, Gideon, God has found favor with you. And he wants to use you to defeat the Midianites. Gideon asked the angel for a sign that it really was a message from God. Uh, the angel gives him the sign and Gideon starts to, uh, to freak out. And that's where we pick it up in Judges 6, 22. So he says, when Gideon realized it was the angel of the Lord, he cried out, oh, sovereign Lord, I am doomed. I've seen the angel of the Lord face to face. It's all right, the Lord replied. Do not be afraid, you will not die. And Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and named it Yahweh Shalom, which means the Lord is peace. So that's the, the first name we're looking at is, is Yahweh Shalom. The Lord is peace. Peace. Let's, let's talk a little bit about peace. Like when it comes to peace, everyone wants peace. Like you have times of war and then you have times of peace. Like everyone is all about peace unless you're some kind of warlord or terrorist or something, right? But as it happens a lot, when you, when, you trans, uh, when you translate words from these ancient languages into English, a lot of times the word doesn't really do it justice. So shalom is one of those words where peace is almost too small 
of a word. So we look at shalom from the original Hebrew. It means to flourish, harmony, wholeness, completeness, prosperity, welfare, and tranquility. So a little bigger than the word peace, right? It's not just the absence of war. It's all of these things, shalom. And when I look at this list, man, I don't know about you, but I could use some of this in my life. I could use a little more harmony and wholeness, prosperity. So why is peace so hard to come by? Even as I was writing this sermon this past week, we have like a little office back in here, and I was sitting down, I was all by myself in there, it's kind of in my zone. I have these, we call them in-ear monitors, but they're like little headphones that are custom molded to the shape of your ear. So you like corkscrew them into your ear and it shuts out all the other sound, right? So I, I had that going, I had my slow jams playing and I was kind of in the zone writing some, some stuff down on my computer. I was in a, complete, a completely peaceful mode and frame of mind. And then I start noticing this flashing in the room. And I start looking around and there's a fire alarm on the wall and it's strobing. And so I, I pull these monitors out of my ears and there's like the most horrendous alarm siren thing going off in the building. Like the fire alarm is set, set off. I, and I, it was so crazy. There was smoke everywhere. I could barely see to get out. Totally kidding. It was like a false alarm. I don't know if one of the kids pulled it or whatever, but it disrupted me. It totally disrupted my whole vibe I had going. That, that's kind of a microcosm of our lives. Peace is hard to come by because we're so distracted. There's so many things that are assaulting our peace. Uncertainty, anxiety, just disruptions, bad news, maybe some kind of sickness, maybe a death. Things that are out of our control. And everything in our, our lives have this pull of sin on them, like this gravitational pull that threatens to, to rip everything apart. That's our norm. That's our reality because we live in a broken world. So how do we get peace in this crazy world in which we live? Is it even possible? Is it a lost cause? First, I think we have to start with the fact, that, you know, of realizing that God's plan all along was for peace. His plan all along was for, for shalom. You look at Eden in the very beginning, Adam and Eve, the Garden of Eden. That was peace, tranquility, completeness, wholeness, until sin broke it. And then we know one day, heaven, right, eternity, that's going to be peace, tranquility, wholeness, completeness. That was his plan from the very beginning. We're going to look at Isaiah chapter 9. This is the prophet Isaiah. This is as he's prophesying about the Messiah to come, Jesus. He says, for a child is born to us, a son is given to us, the government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. So, so God is sending the earth, the Prince of Peace. And then you fast forward 700 years and then it comes to pass. This is Luke chapter two. You know, the angels appear under the shepherds or whatever. You know this verse, glory to God in the highest and on earth, what? Peace, goodwill toward men. 
God sent peace to the earth. God sent the prince of peace. That was his plan to bring peace back to the earth through Jesus. He sent us the prince of peace. That was his gift to us. He is the peace giver. He's the peace giver. It, it is possible for us as Christians to live in this crazy world with peace. And really, when you think about it, Christians, sh shouldn't we be kind of the standard of, of peace when it comes to people in our society? Especially thinking about the fact that we serve God, Yahweh Shalom, right? The Lord is peace. We as Christians supposedly follow Jesus Christ, who is the Prince of Peace. Why is it that, that Christians, well, you and I, have so little peace in our lives? And the thing about it is, you, your life could even be going really well, right? Just because you don't have peace doesn't mean your life is all screwed up and you're having all these problems. Your life could be going great and you could still have no peace. I've told this story a few times, but there was a time, you know, eight or nine years ago where I had no peace. I, I was in this really bad place, a dark place, and it was right in the middle of one of the best times of my life, man. I was living a dream come true. I was doing what I, what I love to do, what I feel like God has put me on this earth to do. I was doing it at a church that I loved. We were seeing hundreds, even thousands of people get saved, get baptized. Like it was literally what I dreamed of since I was a kid. But there was no peace to be found. Maybe that's where you are. Whether life is going really well, maybe you're going through some stuff, maybe you're struggling. But you would say, man, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Jesus follower, but I have zero peace in my life. Is that you? I have a question for you. Who is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus to you? Is, is he kind of your Sunday morning or Wednesday night kind of thing? Is he like a ticket to heaven kind of thing? A historical figure, you know, like a Bible story character, a caricature? Who is Jesus to you? Because the thing is, when the stuff hits the fan, that historical figure Jesus, that caricature Jesus is not going to do much for you. When someone close to you dies, when you lose a relationship that's important to you, when real life happens, who is Jesus to you? The solution to our peace problem is the, the prince peace. And I know saying this, I can feel what you're thinking. It's like, it seems like such a cliched answer, right? It's like that perfect Sunday school answer. Like, yeah, we know Jesus is the answer to everything, right? It's that simple. But I promise in a second, we're going to get really, really practical. But we got to start here. The, the solution to our problem with our lack of peace is the prince of peace. We need to reframe the way we think about Jesus. Not, not some distant you know, historical kind of caricature figure, but a, a real person, a person who's alive and well and is right here in this moment with us. And oh, by the way, is in your tomorrow waiting for you. The real Jesus who's, who's knowable and powerful and personable, who's right there in the middle of your mess and your, your storms of life, 
who even while you sleep is working on your behalf. He's real. But do you, do you know him as real? Do you have a, a relationship with the real Jesus? So let's get practical. How, how do we get more peace in our lives? It starts right here. You have to release your concerns to him. There's so much stuff we carry around with us. All the stress and worry, anxiety, pressure, right? And we, we carry it with us everywhere we go. We hang on to it and our minds race. If we're ever going to have peace, we have to let go of it. You have to release it to him. Release your concerns to him. The main verses we're going to be working from is Philippians 4. This is Paul. He's, he writes, don't worry about anything. That's simple enough, right? <laughs> oh, don't worry. Don't worry about anything. Everybody's good now, right? Let's, let's just go home. Uh, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he's done. Then, uh-oh, you see what happened? This is a if-then kind of situation, right? If we'll do something, God will do something. It's a promise from God. If we will not worry, but instead pray, right, and thank him for what he's done, then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. And his peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about what? Pray about everything. How many of you, your first reaction when something happens is to pray? It's not mine a lot of times. How much different would your life look if it, that was your first go-to response? I heard this this last week from Craig Rochelle. He's the pastor of Life Church. He said, you know, anxiety or worry in our life should be a signal to us that it's time to pray. We feel some anxiety hit us. It signals us it's time to pray. If it's big enough to worry about, it's big enough to pray about. And if we're going to have any peace in our life, that's where we have to start. Let it go. Release your concerns to him. Make your request known to the king of the universe. The, the only one that's in charge, right? The only one that's really in control of anything. The only one that can change your situation, that's, that's God, right? The, the, the head honcho the top dog, the king of the universe. We have direct access to him. He hears your prayers. How crazy is that? So we need to appeal to that the higher power, someone that can do something about our situation. You ever have um, a situation like with a customer service person or at a restaurant or something where you have to speak to someone's supervisor or manager, or maybe like you're like me and everywhere you go with your dad, he's always asking to speak to the manager or supervisor because he's always mad about something. Why, why would you need to do that? Because you know, the person that you're talking to can't help you. Right. And so you're like, okay, I can see I'm not getting anywhere. So I, can I talk to your supervisor, your, your manager, someone that can do something to fix my problem. You, you know, you appeal to the higher power. I don't know if any of you have ever worked in customer service, but I have, and it's pretty awful. Uh, I spent a year way back. I won't even tell you when, because probably a lot of you weren't born. It was 1999. Okay. I worked uh, in a call center. 
uh, for AT&T Wireless. And this was the early days of cell phones, kind of, you know. And I worked there for a year, and it was the worst year of my life, man. And, you know, it was when people were still really stupid about how cell phones worked and how the billing process worked. And I kid you not, this, this is how dumb people were. Um, this happened several times. You'd be talking to someone on the phone, their, their phone's messing up, it's not acting right or whatever. And um, there was one time this little old lady, I, I assume she was a little old lady, I couldn't see her, but she sounded like a little old lady. And she couldn't get her phone to work. And I was like, you know, in those days, it's the same as today, you, you do a hard reset on your phone, right? Uh, in, in those days, though, the, the batteries, you could take them off of the phone. And that's how you reset it. You take the battery off, and it would kind of do a hard reset, put the bat- battery back on, turn the phone back on, whatever. And so I'm talking to this lady, and she's, you know, I said, well, first of all, you need to remove your battery. That's the first step. You know, we need to do a hard reset or whatever. And she's like, okay, hang on a second, and then click. Because she was on the cell phone that she took the battery off of, right? That's, that's how dumb people were. Um, but our, our supervisors would be like, you know, do everything you can to, to try to satisfy them, to try to solve their problem. But I knew I, I couldn't do anything to help them, right? And I couldn't wait to hear the magic words of, can I just speak to your supervisor? Because I was always like, yes, you can. And I, I wish that you would, right? Um, by the way, it's the only job I ever got fired from. Uh, that it doesn't mean anything, I guess, towards the, the story. But uh, the reason we appeal to the supervisor is to get our problem solved. It's the same when it comes to us and releasing our concerns to God. He's the only one that can fix it. He's the only one in control. So we have to come to him, make our requests known to him. He says to think about such things, man, our, our minds are so messed up. Our thoughts go in so many different directions. It's hard to control sometimes when we get stressed, when we feel like we don't know what's going to happen next, when we feel like we don't have the answers that we need. There's an old song I used to sing in church growing up, and the words went, I will cast all my cares upon you. I lay my, my burdens at your feet. And any time I don't know what to do, I cast my cares on you. Anxiety should be a signal to pray as we release our concerns to him. But we can't stop there. There's a, a second step to this. And by the way, you know, you notice there's an active part that we have to play if we're ever going to have peace in our lives. It's just like everything else really in our walk with God. It's not like God has this magical peace wand and he's just like, boom, you magically suddenly have peace. No, we, we have an active part to play. And it starts with releasing our concerns to him. And then we have to replace what's been released with truth. So you have this worry, this thought, this anxiety. You, you release it to him. You have to replace what you just released with, with truth. The next verse in Philippians 4, he says, And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise and keep putting them into practice. All you learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing. Then, uh uh-oh, it happened again. An if-then kind of situation, right? If we will do something, God will do something. It's It's a promise from God. If we'll fix our thoughts on truth 
and put them into practice, then the God of peace will be with you. We have to fix our, our thoughts on them. We, we release the concern to him and then we, keep, we have to replace it with something. You don't just break a, a bad habit without starting a new, better habit, right? You, you can't stop worrying about something just by stopping thinking about it. You have to think about something else. Think about such things. Think about truth. How hard is it to control your thoughts? Our minds, man, they're, they're going a million different directions all the time. And our emotions drag us all over the place. You know, and rarely I found, rarely do emotions drag you towards truth. See, emotions are, are God-given. They serve a real purpose. And they're, they're real, right? But emotions are not always true. We can't always trust what we feel. You can't always trust the thoughts that are bombarding our minds. We have to think about truth. I like the way he puts it in Second uh, Corinthians chapter 10. He says, though we live in the, in the world, we don't wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary... They have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. And then next slide, Isaiah, you'll keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. Take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. Make it obedient to truth. You're, you're confronting the lie with the truth, right? And he keeps in perfect peace those whose thoughts are fixed on him. And as we learn to do that, as we learn to follow Jesus and walk with him and daily submit our, our minds to him, right? Release our concerns, and take captive those thoughts, make them obedient to Christ. It says his peace will guard our hearts and minds, bring our, our thoughts in line with his thoughts. Man, to me, that sounds like peace. How, how does that work? I mean, how do you, how do you combat the lie with, with truth? Well, if, are you worried about something? Are you, are you afraid of what's about to happen? You don't really know what's next. You've got to release that to him. And then replace it with truth. Second Timothy 1, 7. For God has not given me a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power and love and self-discipline. Are you a little bit freaked out about something that's happening in your life? You're questioning God's plan. Like, how could he allow this to happen? Why did he allow this to happen? Man, you got to release that to him. Replace it with truth. Romans 8, 28. All things work together for the good of those who love him. You have financial trouble? You stressed out about money? You don't know where that next check is going to come from? Well, in Philippians, 10 verses later, after he says for us not to worry, but instead pray, right? And to fix our thoughts in the right places. He says, my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. You have to release those things, replace them with truth, with scripture, with the truth of who God is and what he has promised us. Here's an easy way to remember it. 
Release, replace, repeat. Release your concerns to him. Replace with truth. And then repeat. This is not a one and done kind of thing. It's, it's a daily, probably even hourly habit that if we ever want peace in our life, we have to put into practice. But see, he's not just the peace giver. He, he didn't just come to bring peace to earth. No, it's, it's way better than that. He's also the peacemaker. The Prince of Peace is the, the peacemaker. He came to, to not just bring peace to the earth, but to make peace between you and God. Isaiah, again, this is prophesying about Jesus, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. See, God sent the Prince of Peace to make peace between himself and us. Jesus was, was God's olive branch. Like he extended peace to us who were his enemies, who were separated from him by our sin. In fact, that's what Colossians 1 says. He says, you were his enemies separated from him by your evil thoughts and desires. But God reconciled you to himself through the death of Jesus on the cross. Romans 5, 8 says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, we, we were the offenders, right? And still God took the initiative. God made the steps towards us to offer us peace through his son. Through, through Jesus, God is saying to us, I want to make peace with you. We can't have a relationship with God without it. Why? God is holy. He is perfect in every way. His standard is perfection. None of us are perfect, right? We, we've all fallen short of that standard. We have a, a sin problem. And that's a problem if we want a relationship with God because God is, is, is a holy God. His anger and his justice burn against sin. He hates sin and he has sworn that sin will be punished. But it's almost like God knows if I, if I punish man for his sin, he's going to die. And he's going to spend eternity in hell. But if I don't punish sin, my justice is never satisfied. So the solution to make peace between God and man is that God said, I will become the sin substitute. As through Jesus, he, he literally took the sin of all of mankind upon himself. And he poured his wrath out. On the cross, the word tells us he, he turned his back on Jesus and it was his will to, to crush him. Why? So he can make peace with you and with me. Do you know him? Have you made peace with God? Do you have a, a real relationship with the real Jesus. I'm not talking about church attendance, right? Or the fact that you call yourself a Christian. I'm talking about, do you have a real relationship, a daily relationship with him? Has there ever been a time in your life when you put your faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins and made peace with God? 
Real peace in this life, real peace with God is only possible through a relationship with the real Jesus. And if you're not sure where you stand in your relationship with him, man, you can be right here, right now, tonight. It's all about putting your faith in what Jesus did for you. You can't take care of your sin problem on your own. We can't be good enough. But when your heart is kind of awakened to, to what Jesus did for you on the cross as God is, is offering you this free gift, right? This peace offering. Everything that he did to make peace with you, all you have to do is take it. There's no ritual to go through, right? There's no like religious prayer to quote or whatever. It's, a, it's an internal decision that you make to not put your faith in you, but in what Jesus did for you on the cross as he died to pay your fine. You put your faith in that and best you know how you commit to, to live your life for the prince of peace. Make that, don't waste another day. Make that decision before you leave this place, man. And we want to know about it. We want to help you in your walk with Jesus on the app or on our website. There's a connect form, a get connected. One of the options on there is committing my life to Christ. If you'll click that button, we'll get in touch with you this week, man. We want to talk to you about next steps in your relationship with God. Celebrate that decision with you. There's, there's no greater decision in your life that you can make than that one. And when you do, the word tells us that we are filled with his spirit. The Holy Spirit lives, the spirit of God lives on the inside of you. And you've heard of the fruits of the spirit, right? For, for have a real relationship with, we're walking with God. Our lives will start to exhibit fruits of the spirit that's living on the inside of us. What are they? Love, joy, peace. To have peace in this life. It can only happen if we're walking with Jesus. Big ideas, peace is a person. Peace is, is a person. That's the person of Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace. I saw this on a bumper sticker. You might think it's corny, but I think it's powerful. If you know Jesus, you're going to know peace. Without Jesus, you will have no peace. One day, Jesus and his disciples get in this uh, boat. And you, you might have heard the story, but they, they go out on this huge lake and this storm comes up, right? And it's, man, it's a bad one. And, and the disciples are terrified. They think they're going to drown. And you think about it, a lot of these guys grew up on boats. They were professional fishermen. So for them to be afraid of a storm on a boat, you know, the storm had to be something terrible. And I love this part of the story. You, you can't make this stuff up. It's like, they're panicking and they're like, where's Jesus? And then where was he? He was asleep <laughs> in the middle of the storm, right? This horrible storm. Jesus somehow is asleep on the boat and they wake him up and they're like, what are you, do what are you doing? Like do something. We're, we're about to drown, right? And, and Jesus looks at him and I feel like he has to be smiling when he says this, right? Or at least a little smirk, but he says, what are you so afraid of? Where's your 
faith. Like, don't you know who I am? And he stands up and he speaks to the wind and he speaks to the waves. And what does he say? He says, peace, be still. And the storm was over just like that. And his disciples who had spent so much time with him and they knew Jesus better than anyone else. All of a sudden they looked at him and they were like almost afraid. And they said, who is this man that even the wind and the waves obey him? See that, that man was the prince of peace and the prince of peace is with you too in your boat, in the middle of your storm. And we get so freaked out and stressed out and panicked. And it's like, he, he's like, what are you so afraid of? Don't you know who I am? And sometimes he's going to calm your storm. But even in the middle of your storm, just knowing you're with him, Prince of Peace, his peace will guard your hearts and minds. And just like we just read, you can have peace that surpasses all understanding, peace that doesn't make sense. When that precise moment, you should be freaking out and you should be panicking and you should be completely overwhelmed. You can have a calm inside of you that, that doesn't make sense to you or anyone else because Jesus is calming the storm inside of you. You got to let him do it. You got to release your concerns to him and bring your thoughts in line with truth. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for sending the Prince of Peace to bring peace to, to the earth, but also to make peace between you and us. God, I pray that you would teach us the discipline of every time we feel that, that worry start to creep up, that it would be a, a trigger for us to, to pray and to trust you and to release those concerns to you, to appeal to the higher power and then replace those things with the truth of who you say you are and the truth of who you, you say we are. God, that we would experience shalom in the middle of our chaos, a peaceful, wholeness, tranquility, completeness that can only come from you, the Prince of Peace. Yahweh, Shalom. In your name, amen.